Well, good morning, everyone. Man, if you're new to Bridgewater, that last song summarizes so much what we believe. Our sins, though they're many, God's mercy is so much more. I, I may not know your whole story. Uh, you, you probably don't know mine yet, but the reality is there's not a single person sitting in this room who can look at themselves in the mirror and say, yep, I've got it all together. See, we're here because we don't have it all together and we have a God who does. Amen? That's, that's what I want you to know about Bridgewater. Now, uh, if, you're, if you are new here, this is a little different. It's not every day I get to preach with, I don't even know what this is, um, but hi. It's, uh, it's nice. It's not every day. And I kind of feel like I should be preaching. If you don't know, there's a story in the Bible um, about a man named Elijah, and he, he had to, you know, he had a, a great uh, battle with the prophets of Baal, and it involved a fire and an altar. I feel like we should be preaching on that this morning, but that's not what we're going to do. We're actually going to look at another story from the Old Testament that is all about building a wall to see things change in Jerusalem, and then, uh, you know, partnering with God to see hearts change. And that really resonates a lot, I, I would say, with uh, some things going on in our world. So this morning, we're going to dive into something that I'm fairly confident we all have in common. So let me get this set up, okay? Um, I would venture, no matter who you are or how you grew up or what was going on in your life, whether you're new to Christianity or you've been doing this for a hundred years, I would venture that at one point in your life, we've all had someone tell us virtually the same thing. Now, I, if I'm wrong, grab me afterwards and say, no one's ever said that to me. Okay, I'm saying it to you now. <laughs> so let me, let me explain. Um, it could have been a parent who told you this when you were young. Maybe a parent came alongside you, uh, or maybe you're an, ad an adult, and you had gotten in some trouble, and then your parent said this thing that I'm about to say to you. Maybe, um, maybe it was a neighbor who saw you as a kid doing something you shouldn't have been doing, and, uh, and they, they invited you to go to church or something like that, and then at some point somebody, you know, maybe that neighbor said this statement to you. For some of you, it was a grandparent or a foster parent who cared about you and said the following words to you, and here's what they are. I, I'm willing to wager that every single one of us has had somebody who said this to you. You should pray. You ever had somebody say that to you? I got told that a lot because I found a myriad of ways to get in trouble <laughs> when I was a, a kid. I had people tell me, you should pray. Not only that, I'm going to venture that you've had some situations where you realized in your own life, hmm, maybe, maybe I should pray. Maybe there was something going on in your life. Maybe it was a close call on the road. You were driving down the road and it was snowing because apparently it snows here like it doesn't in the Midwest. We just came from the Midwest. You know, maybe it was a 42-inch snow in 24 hours, which apparently happens, and we're going to pray never happens again, okay? You know? And you're driving down the road and you realize, like, all of a sudden you don't have control of the car, and you go, I should pray. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Ever, ever had that? I've had that a few times. 
I watched the car spin, the truck spin, yeah. Maybe it was a financial situation that you couldn't see your way out of. Something going on that you, unless something changed, you weren't going to be able to get out of that tough spot that you were in. Maybe for you, uh, it was a situation during your time in the armed forces, and, and you realized that things were getting really bad, and you needed somebody bigger and stronger than you on your side. Or maybe it was a party that you were at, and you realized you were in over your head. And if something didn't change, if God didn't rescue you, if, if, if somebody didn't step in, you, would, you were going to end up doing something that you were going to regret forever. See, the reality is, whether it was circumstances of your life or decisions that you made that put you in a spot, we know we should pray. We all know that. We all, we all kind of deep down, we, we know that there's times that we should, we should pray. You know, we all know that there are times that we need to reach out, we need help, we need something bigger than us. In fact, for me, I, I wonder if you've had situations like this. I've had a few. Have you, have, you ever, have you ever tried to beg or bargain your way out of circumstances or out of a situation that you behaved yourself into? Ever done that? You're like, God, please, if you get me out of this situation, I'll do anything, I'll do anything. I'll even, I'll even go to church, God. I'll do it. I've done it. And the reality is that I think most of us kind of approach prayer like that. We approach prayer like, God, when I'm in trouble, I'll reach out. God, when I need help, I'll reach out. God, when I see something that's broken, I'll reach out. We approach prayer a little bit like this. We approach it like prayer is there for getting what we need or getting what we think we need, right? I've approached it like that. It's like I found I pray a whole lot more when I realize that things are broken. Have you ever experienced that? And right now, I look around, I look at, at our homes, I look at our city, I look at our country, I look at the news, and I realize things are broken, and it's causing me to, to want to pray. How about you? The interesting thing is that in the story of Nehemiah, things were a lot like they are in our world. Things were broken down. The people had been through a terrible war. You know, people had been hauled away, taken away. They spent 140 years displaced from their homes, and everybody wanted to go back, and finally they're able to go back, and they're rebuilding things, rebuilding their homes, rebuilding their walls. Things are looking good, but the reality is their homes were still broken because their hearts were still broken, and it wasn't until what we looked at last week when they started looking at God's Word that they started to realize, oh, something needs to change. And last week... We talked about how things change, but this week we're going to focus in on one particular area that we can, we can work on so that things change in us, so that cha things change in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and also, of course, in our nation. But it all starts, honestly, I think with this, this one thing, it starts with prayer. But here's the reality. If we approach prayer like this, just getting what we think we need, we're going to miss out on so much of what prayer is. And if you're anything like me, 
I find it easy to just approach prayer like this and then miss out on all the rest. In Nehemiah chapter 9, we find two attitudes towards prayer. A couple of attitudes towards prayer that really will change anything. And if we, if we adopt those attitudes, if, if we adopt those attitudes and then we, we follow it up with some specific action in prayer, God will begin to change you. I promise you, even if you're skeptical, if you're here today and you're like, yeah, this, I'm just here because somebody invited me and I kind of like them. He's kind of cute or she's kind of cute, so I came with them. Cool, that's fine. I'm glad you're here. That's great. But I'm, I, I want to tell you, if you will try this with me, I think you'll see something pretty powerful. You'll see God begin to move. So here's what we're going to wrestle with today. If it's not just getting what we think we need, what should we do in prayer? What is it? What should it look like? What should it look like in my life? I'm going to wrestle with this question of what should we do in prayer. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through Nehemiah 9 and show you two attitudes that showed up in their prayer and then some actions that, that come out of it, okay? So let's start in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 1 together. Look at what it says. It says this, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting, wearing sackcloth, sackcloth, and putting dust on their heads. In other words, this is taking place roughly about three weeks after the beginning of chapter 8 that we looked at last week. If you didn't get to see that, you can go back and look at it for yourself, but the people for the first time in 140 years really started listening to God's word. Can you imagine that? 140 years you know, they, they were displaced in 586 B.C. A man, a king named Nebuchadnezzar, he was the father of a famous king named Nebuchadnezzar. If you've read the book of Daniel, you've heard of Nebuchadnezzar, okay? His father came in and destroyed the southern portion of uh, the nation of Israel. The northern portion had already been destroyed by the Assyrians. It had been a long time that they'd been walking away from God, and now all of a sudden, they're sitting under God's word and they're listening, and they're moved, and they're broken. When was the last time that we were moved and broken, and willing to let God work on us? So in that same time frame, they gather together again, and rather than celebrating, they had been celebrating for a while, this time they took a different approach. They started fasting and mourning, and praying. Look at verse 2. It says this, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners. Now, the, the text doesn't give us a lot of background to that, but the book of Ezra does. Okay, a book right before Nehemiah in the book of Ezra tells us that God had given the Israelites specific instructions about what their lifestyle should look like and that there were people that they should, they should be in relationship with, not because of their ethnicity, but because of who they chose to worship. And so there were people who did not worship the one true God, and he said, don't get married to those people. Don't, don't be in these relationships with those people because they don't worship the one true God, and yet they disobeyed. And now, as they're listening to God's word, they started obeying. Look what else I did. They stood in their places and they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Verse 3, they stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. 
This is more than likely three hours. In the Jewish mindset, the day would have been 12 hours. So the first quarter would have been from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. So they're reading the book of the law of the Lord their God for three hours. And then they spent another three hours in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. What, what is going on here? In these first three verses, I think we see a lot about their attitude in prayer. Now, before I talk to you about their attitude in prayer, can we just have a, a moment of honesty? I tend to take prayer pretty lightly. How about you? Here's what I mean. Naturally, it's easy for me to think of prayer as just like, well, I'll do that when I need it. Right? It's pretty easy. I think if we took it seriously, we would, we'd be on our knees a whole lot more, wouldn't we? If we understood who we are talking to and, and who we have the ability to tap into and the power and the greatness of who our God really is, that would probably change our approach in prayer, wouldn't you agree? It'd change our attitude. It changed their attitude. And here's what shows up about their attitude about prayer. They took prayer seriously, and I think we have to learn how to take prayer seriously. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you the beginning of a story of a time when I was leading a group of uh, teens down to Arkansas, and the, I, here I was, 21 years old, with I think like 14 teens in this van with canoes, and we're going canoeing, and the, and the van broke down in the middle of nowhere. And it was that day that God taught me something powerful. We got out of the van, stood on the side of the road. I had called everyone I could think of. Nobody could help us. And finally, I, I pulled the kids aside, and we decided to pray. And we said, God, we have asked you to work on this trip to show us your power and to teach us how to depend on you. Here we are right now. That's what we asked before we left. We need to depend on you. Will you please help us? And then my phone rang. It's taught me something about God. No, it wasn't God, just so you know, okay? <laughs> but God, God answered through some believers in the area that just heard what had happened to us and they gave us a van. I'm telling you, if, if we knew that God works in that way, if we would just simply believe and trust, I think it would change our approach to prayer, don't you? These people, they took prayer seriously. Let me show you what happens when we take prayer seriously. It shows up all the way back in verse 1. I'll just read it to you again. It says this, on the 24th month, or the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting, wearing sackcloth, and putting dust on their heads. That means they were mourning over their sin. And then later, it says they, they spent time changing their lives and asking God to forgive them for their sin. In other words, here's what happens when we take prayer seriously. These things start showing up. We start fasting over our prayer. We start or over, fasting over our sin. We start mourning over our sin. We are willing to make life change. And then there's repentance. We take it seriously. I just wonder, Bridgewater, when, when was the last time you wept over your sin and fasted because you knew that something needed to change? 
I wonder if it's possible that things are so rough in our families and rough in our communities and rough in our nation because Christians aren't really fasting and praying over their sin, aren't mourning. Yes, there's grace. Yes, God is gracious. Yes, we should depend on that grace, but we better not stop there. We better take God seriously, and it needs to show up in our prayer where we are serious with him. We look at sin the way he sees it, and we agree with him, and we say, that's wrong. I don't want to go back there anymore. God, change me, please, because if you don't change me, I'm going to wreck things. I wonder if what's happening in our country and in our city and in our state is happening partially because Christians need to change, but they're not. What if we started with us and we started adopting the attitude of prayer where we would take prayer seriously, we would fast, we would mourn, we would repent? There's a communal aspect of this prayer as well. They were praying, in verse 3 it says that they were, they were um, praying and confessing and worshiping. In verse 2 it talks about they were confessing their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Why the ancestors? Well, because sin is, is communal. You see, if, if a father gambles away all of his money, it affects his kids. If a pastor, if I live a life that is, is, is a double life, if I lie, if I steal and cheat, it affects the whole church and the community. You, you understand that? So they're confessing their sins. What would happen if we started looking backwards and taking it seriously? See, here's what I think should happen. Here's the action. So the attitude is take prayer seriously. Here's the action. We need to pray backwards. We need to pray backwards. Now, I know this is a little weird, and, and honestly, it's not a big deal whether or not you remember this, but the big deal is if we learn to look backwards and we ask the question, how did we get here? How did I get here? How did the church get here? How did my, my family get here? How did our nation get here? And then we look back at God and we look at what God has done along the way. So there's two things that I think show up when we pray backwards. Let me show you. First of all, praying backwards involves looking back and repenting. Now, if you're not familiar with that term repent or repentance or repenting, really all it is, it's the idea of changing your mind. Like if I think it's okay to live in such a way that I can lie to you and cheat you, for me to repent would be to say, hey, that's wrong. I see that the way I've been going is wrong. I need to start being honest and telling you the truth, even if it costs me. Right? I've owned a business for the last 20 years. My wife and I have. And I've had a myriad of times where people uh, either A, would overpay me, and I had the opportunity to just take it and walk away. Time and time again, I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit of God who just stirs and says, no, don't do that, because then I'd get, I'd get to go back and talk to him and say, hey, you paid more. There are also times, I, I worked in a very dangerous environment. There were times that we maybe did damage to a fence or something like that, and it would have been easy for me to cover it up. 
and just walk away. And I'll be honest, I wanted to because I knew it was going to cost me. And oftentimes it wasn't me who did the damage. It was one of my employees. And, and now I know it's coming out of my pocket. I can't do that. Because God has called me to a life of repentance. And looking at things the way he sees them. You know, Martin Luther, he was a, uh, a priest in the Catholic church and then he began to read the scriptures. And in reading through the scriptures, he found grace given to us through the person of Jesus, not through specific works done by man. But he started to realize that that grace came to us, yes, through Jesus, but we were also called to repent. And he, he said this, he said, all of life is repentance. Day in and day out, looking at ourselves, looking backwards, looking at who I've been, what I've done, and, and being honest about it. But then the good news is I don't have to live in that shame anymore because I lay it at Jesus' feet. Please don't hear me say live in shame. That's not it, but we pray backwards. We look back and we repent. Look at the text, verse 2. It says this. They stood in their places and they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. A little, little later in the text, and I'm not going to be able to go all the way through chapter 9 today. You can look at it for yourself. It's beautiful. You should read it. It's an incredible prayer, okay? A prayer detailing the work of God and how God had worked through generations. It's beautiful. But in verse 33, here's what it says. Look, it says this, if we can bring that up. It says, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Here's the second part of, looking, of praying backwards. We should look at ourselves. That's the we have acted wickedly. Secondly, we should look at, at God and who he's been. And we should recount it. We should praise. We should honor him. I think praying backwards involves looking back and rejoicing in God's faithfulness. This is, this is beautiful. Has God been good to you? My wife and I have a saying around our house. Um, I, w when I entered into ministry, I, I realized that that wasn't necessarily always going to be something where maybe we would make as much money as we necessarily wanted, right? Okay. Uh, so there have been some times throughout our lives where maybe the month was longer than, than the money was, and you've probably experienced that a time or two as well. And we were tempted to just go, okay, God, now what, and to be fearful. But we have now watched over the last 20 years, we've watched God step in, and there has never been a single time when God didn't provide Never once. So when I look back at that, it reminds me that I have a lot to praise him for. I can say, God, I know what you did when we were newlyweds and we didn't, you know, we didn't really know how we were going to be able to pay for things. We didn't know how we were ever going to be able to save up for something like retirement. Where's that going to come from? But God, you have been good and you've provided. What about you? 
The Israelites, they, they, they recount their prayer. They talk about creation. God, look, you've done, you've done great works in creation. They talked about God's covenant with a man named Abraham. They talked about God, God's work through the exodus and bringing the, the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They recount so many good things. What if we started keeping short lists with our sin and long lists with God's powerful deeds? That's what it means to pray backwards. Look at chapter 9 and verse 5. Here's what it says. Here they are. They're recounting God's faithfulness. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. Verse 6 says this, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitude of heaven worships you. Wow. That, that needs to be involved in our prayer. Again, my tendency is, Lord, I have a problem. Please fix it. What if we started? Sure, there, there's a place for that. In fact, we're about to get to it. But what if we started with repentance and then we went to praise and now we can look at the second attitude. Okay, so the first attitude is just they, they took prayer seriously. Look at what else happens. They started to take God seriously. So these verses that show up in between, okay, if you, if you have your own Bible, I would urge you, go and read verses 5 all the way through the end to verse 38, okay? You've got to see this. They, they started to take God seriously. They believed him. They saw he had done great things, and they're like, okay, we're going to trust you. We're going to depend on you. They took God seriously. Now, if you're new to Bridgewater, we don't, you've got to know, we don't take our ver ourselves very seriously, we joke around, we laugh, we're real people, we're normal, just like everybody else, okay? But the reality is, we take God very seriously. When he says something, he's going to do it. What his word says, we believe it. That's the truth. What if we started taking God seriously? Like, God seriously, like he said, he wants to use us to see people saved, like we talked about. Found people, find people. What if we took him seriously and just started praying and living based on that? What if we took him seriously when he says that heaven is real and hell is real and every single person who has ever lived will spend eternity in one of those two places and the only thing that makes a difference is Jesus? And what if we took him seriously in prayer when he says, I see you, I care for you, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. So whatever you're going through right now, you can go to him. Family is falling apart? Okay. God's not done. Let's take him seriously. Look at verse 32. I love this. See, the Israelites, they prayed. They repented, they praised God, and then they started to ask God for help. It says this, Now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome. Do you realize, do you realize who he is and how powerful he is? Oh, I get it. The American dollar is the be-all and end-all. No. God is. 
God is great and mighty and powerful. He is awesome. He keeps his covenant of love. Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. And then it goes on, and he says this. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and our leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. He, they're basically saying, God, things are rough. We're in trouble. Will you please help? Will you help? See, their attitude was, God, we've got a problem. You're big. You're powerful. We need your help. We're going to take you seriously. So then what did they do? Here's the action. Not only did they pray backwards, they started praying forwards. They started seeing the pathway forward as being in God's hands. They started to understand that they needed to go back and ask God for help and repent, and they needed to go back and they needed to address the past. But then to go forward, they knew, we need God. So they started to pray forward. And here's what I think praying forward involves. Praying forward involves asking God to change us and our circumstances. God, start with me. Change me. But I want you to change things at my job. I want you to change things in my community. I'm having a problem in my marriage. We are broken right now. God, would you start by changing me, but then also change my circumstances? God, change my children, but also, God, please make me the father, the mother, the grandparent that you need me to be, but please work as well in what's happening. Praying forward involves asking God to change us in our circumstances. Nehemiah recounts for us this in, in his prayer in verse 37. Here's what it says. It says this, because of our sins, it's abundant, abundant harvest. They're talking about the land, the, the, the land that God gave to them. It said, because of our sins, the abundant harvest goes to all the kings that you placed over us, all these other nations, Assyria, you know, Babylon, now per Media Persia, okay? They were over all of them. And all of the abundant harvest goes to other people. They rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Basically, they're saying, God, please show up. Please do something. Please change us and change our circumstances. So yeah, we should ask God. But you got to start with praying backwards. And then we move to praying forward. Praying forward involves asking God to change us and our circumstances. Secondly, praying forward involves anchoring your hope in God's past blessings and His future promises. Here's, here's what I know. I tend to focus on, God, please change the circumstances now. And my hope tends to be in, God, if you would just change this, I'll feel better. But here's the reality. My hope has to be rooted in who God has been and the promises that he has already made because he will deliver. And even if he doesn't change my circumstances, even if he never changes our nation, even if he never changes our community, never changes our family, God will keep his promises. So when you pray, trust him. Trust him. He will move. He will work. See, I'm far, too, I'm far too focused on the here and now. How about you? 
What if we learned to pray backwards and forwards? If we had an attitude of taking prayer seriously and taking God seriously, I wonder what would happen. See, the reality is, Christian, if you're here today and you're a believer, your hope is in God, not in your circumstances, not in your setting, not what's happening in our community or in our world or in our nation. Our hope is in God. It's in Him we trust. So here was the result. Let me just show you what happened for them. And it's very short. In fact, you're just going to get a sneak peek of what we're going to talk about next week. Okay? So if, you're, if, you know, if you weren't planning on coming, well, it's too late. Next week, you've got to be here because you need to hear the rest of it. Okay? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, that's a shameless plea. Sorry. I'll just I'll give it to you. Here's the result. The result of their prayer was personal change. God changed them. Look, let me show you verse 38. Here's what it says. In view of all this, we, the people, they're there, they're reading, they're fasting, they're praying, they're confessing their sin, they're praising God, they're worshiping Him, and God moved them to make a change. He says, we are making a binding agreement. We are going to write our names down. We're going to say right here, right now, God, we're committing to you. You, and we're, we're going we're gonna to do this, us and our leaders, our Levites and our priests, we are affixing their seals to it. In other words, it's a binding agreement. They committed themselves to the Lord, and God changed things. So I just wonder, Bridgewater, what would happen? What would happen if, if you, in your home, started changing your attitude about prayer and changing your attitude about God, started praying backwards and started praying forwards? Some of you are about to get married. That's awesome. I'm excited. Would you choose to build your marriage on praying like this? Some of you have been married for a while, and, and you're looking at your marriage, and you're like, eh, this is rough. This is not, not what I thought it would be. Okay, what if you chose to pray? Some of you are committed to, to being single. Great. What if you used your time in prayer like this? See, a couple things. When I was a young child, my mom, she became a Christian as a teenager, and she married a guy who didn't know the Lord. And it, when they had me, my mom decided we needed to start going to church, and so we did. And we started going to this little Baptist church in my hometown. It's a tiny little town in Nebraska. I know. It's awesome. The N stands for knowledge, so it's, uh, it's good. Yeah. That's where I got my edumacation. Um, sorry. Um, and there were some people in that church who knew that my dad didn't know the Lord, knew my mom was burdened for it. There were some guys who started meeting, and they started praying for me, and they started praying for my dad. A few years in, I was probably six or seven, and I came to know the Lord as my Savior. And then that same year, my dad... In, through a crazy, just a crazy thing. He trusted Christ with nobody else around, sitting on a couch in a dark room in our house one night. The Lord just made it plain to him. That type of prayer where we take God seriously changes things. It changed me. It's changed my family. Now this morning when I was walking out of the house, I grabbed a set of keys and I usually have a lot of keys, um, a lot of keys to 
equipment and trucks and, you know, different things, keys to buildings and whatnot. In our previous ministry, we had a million keys. And so I usually carry a lot of keys, but I, I started just carrying a few. But I have these keys on here that um, I, I don't know what they do or where they go. So if you know, let me know. I don't know. Uh, I really don't know where they go. So they're pretty much useless to me. I think sometimes we approach prayer like that. We know we should do it. We just don't really know how or how to utilize it. And I hope that today as we look at this account of people getting on their knees before the Lord, repenting, confessing sin, turning away, I hope it becomes like a key for you that you know exactly where it goes and how to use it so you can unlock the door to having an intimate relationship with God and God will begin to move and work. I don't want you to carry around that key and not know where it goes and not know how to use it. I believe this is how God changes things. Would you pray with me? Father God, I want to thank you for your word and the insight in it. I pray that we would be a people who pray, understanding that you have worked in powerful ways and knowing that you're going to continue to work in powerful ways. God, I, I pray that even now as we have a time of communion and remembering Jesus, that we would be quick to confess our sin. Whether we've, we've acted on those things or... or or just had attitudes and, and things going on in our hearts where we know our minds are not right with you, that we would be quick to confess our sin and to repent and to enter again into communion with you through Jesus. God, please change us, our city, and our nation, but start with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.